I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast that sees two movies with something in common go head-to-head to see which one does it better. And welcome to part two of this week's Clash. So on Monday, Chris welcomed us to the world of The Godfather as he took us through the original film, which means today Victoria has lost Brando but added De Niro for a sequel even more epic than the first movie. But is it, as so often declared, a better film? We'll be answering that question as we go through 1974's The Godfather Part 2. Don Vito Corleone and his son Michael both had seen the ones they loved most cut down before their eyes. Both had killed as an act of vengeance. Both commanded the most powerful and merciless crime organization in the world. Is it true that in the year 1950, you devised the murder of the heads of the so-called five families in New York? It's a complete falsehood. We'll have a winner at the end of the show, but which film will it be? Let's find out. It's Clash of the Titles. Release the Kraken. Hello, Clashbutters. I don't feel like I have to wipe out everybody, just my enemies. I'm Alex Zane. I'm Vicky Crompton. I'm Chris Tilly. Very quickly, if you haven't subscribed to us, and I do mean very quickly because we've got a lot of movie to get through. If you haven't subscribed to us, please be kind enough to do that on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. It would be massively appreciated by the three of us. And if you're able to give us a little rating and review, that would be awesome as well. And if you do give us a review, it might be read out on the show by the wonderful Chris Tilly, a.k.a. Chris Thrilly, which sounds a bit like this. So this is from my treasure trove of what I think are American reviews. Uh, this oh, is from, I forgot. Yes. He, he, he went a-wandering. <laughs> this is from someone called Stanley, who says I'm all in. And it ends with a quote that I don't 100% understand. I'm wondering if you guys can help. <laughs> Here we so, go. Quiz. Uh, 
Stanley says, it's an immediate listen for me when it pops up in my feed. It's got everything you want in a movie podcast. Behind the scenes stories, actual writing knowledge and insight, stupid jokes and heated arguments about completely inconsequential topics. <laughs> and they are much more mature than they would ever admit because they got through an entire episode about Minority Report without ever saying, precogs can still lay you pregnant. I don't, I don't miss something there. Five out of five. <laughs> Precogs can still lay you pregnant. They you, they you pregnant. Precogs stand, can still they you pregnant. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm going to hand this one to you, V. <laughs> no. All right. Thanks for the review, Stanley. Hey, if anyone else knows what that means or if <laughs> they've uh, uh, encountered a similar spell check error and know what the actual quote <laughs> is, then uh, do let us know on Twitter at ClashPod. Lovely stuff. Mm. Right then. It is my choices this week. Godfather. Oh, versus... I've just got it. Oh, great. It is a, there's a there's it's a typo the in there, but there's also an there's also another word. Give me your pen. I'm not going to say it. What? Because well, I just I just I'm not that rude. So I don't know what's happened. All right, but here then we go. You've got, you got the microphone. Microphone. No, she's, no, then I, you've I, got precogs. But then you've got because this can still get you pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> well, you should say, it, Alex. We can't have it. Oh yeah, you should, Alex. <laughs> To Alex, because he says all the improper stuff on this show. You can post it on the Twitter. How yeah, about that? There you go. Yeah, if it appears on Twitter, uh, that's Chris. Vicky's posted Chris. it. If it goes on the Twitter, Vicky has posted it. <laughs> I'm not saying that. It's weird. I, I know. I, Why I, are you frightened of saying it? I, just, I, just, I feel weird about it. I and and it's a biological term as well. Yeah, and yet it's there's something very repulsive about it. It's just it. that oh. little bit that comes I out know before what the big bit comes out. I don't not know what it it's is. The little, it's the little bit. You've got to watch out for that little bit because it can still get you pregnant. That's why you should never go in and then go, I actually. I should put a contraceptive. <laughs> oh God! I'm really sorry if you've tuned in to listen to a podcast yeah, about the I'll Godfather Part Two. It's too late. Oh, oh, you wanted me to say it a minute ago. I didn't even want to do this. Victoria wrote pitch- it down. I'm now picturing my dad listening to this, and I'm very upset. See, that's why I didn't say. It. I mean, it's all actual, really good sex ed knowledge. True. This is important. You know, I mean, it's not really our job. <laughs> but, but, you know, just if your children are getting their sexual education from this podcast, we have a problem. Yeah. Ah, excellent. Well, always here to help. Let us know on Twitter at ClashPod. Right then, uh, why are we doing this this week? Well, uh, because I'm making up for Copycat versus The Bone Collector, but also because... It's the 50th anniversary of The Godfather. Plus, we're doing it because it's The Godfather. Mm-hmm. Need more reason than that? Mm. No. Right, on Monday, Chris was a big number one. So today, V is an even bigger number two. V, take us on a journey. When is a sequel not a sequel? When it's also a prequel and the greatest movie ever made, the end. I've got a little bit more, but really we should just stop there. Never get into a staring competition with Al Pacino. Robert De Niro, where have you been keeping those cheekbones my whole life? Can we please stop closing doors on Diane Keaton? Also, <laughs> Danny Aiello, if it's not in the script, how about you don't say it? <laughs> the end. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God, we've got to do an hour on that. I know. It's I'll... mad. Well, I don't know what that is. We'll get there. We oh, will really? get there. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. Oh, this is great. Okay, cool. So I didn't tell you this last week when we uh, chose these films, but I've never seen this before. Lovely. That's fantastic. That's why I wanted to do it because when I saw that, I knew I'd only seen The Godfather once. I knew when I watched it again, I would appreciate it more, but I've never seen this. Did you not want to? Was it because you didn't like The Godfather the first time round? You yeah, didn't want to do another didn't, half hour of it. I just, I knew that. I just knew that Chris loved it, and I didn't want to be that person that's like, well, and on second view, it blah 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 blah. So right. I wanted to, and I wanted to go in to The Godfather two with a greater understanding of what it's all about and what the fuss is about, and then just try and appreciate it as mm. a first time viewer and just see how it felt because I knew that you two had seen it. That's good, great, yeah, good thinking. 
Okay. I so like it. When did you see it? Uh, oh, no, you said shortly, you? Yeah, yeah, shortly after I watched The Godfather at uni, and this is the second viewing ever for me. Yeah, uh, as I said on Monday, I watched these films when I was about 12 or 13, either on telly or on video, and... Uh, while I've watched The Godfather 2 multiple times since then, I think I've seen this once again. So I think I've seen this twice prior to this week. Sorry, so you've seen The Godfather shit tons, but only yes. seen this twice. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I always, if I want to watch one, it tends to be the first one. Okay. But that has no bearing on my decision. <laughs> I was, I, unlike you to go early. <laughs> I, 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 unlike you to be the... The <laughs> old <air> precog. <laughs> <laughs> why, why are you holding a sign that says... <laughs> It's just crappy. There you go. That's why we didn't want to say it. Because it's, it's just something. It seems because it's involuntary as well. It's sort of like, I'm right. out of control. All I right. Th- I never thought of should that. We, yeah. Should we ask Blondie very nicely to beep that out? No, it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. Look, it's educational, sort of. Go on. All right. Uh, sorry. So we've covered that bit, have we? We've done that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, we've got that bit done. Yeah. We've uh, fulfilled our, uh, our... Our contractual obligation, <laughs> contractual obligation under the history repulse, section. Repulse people so much by sex that they just don't do it. <laughs> then we're making the world a safer place and reducing population. <laughs> You're welcome. So let's do a little bit of background. Everything that Chris said on Monday's episode and then guess what? So... <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> I'm sorry, but... It's fine. Yeah, what's the point? So anyway, I've got a little bit. So despite the best efforts of Paramount during the making of The Godfather, it's a massive hit and it does look like an auteur-driven masterpiece, even though <laughs> they did their very best to make it not. Funny. And so they really want Francis Ford Coppola to return and make them loads of lovely money and get loads of prestige and all the rest of it. And Francis says, no, hmm. fuck you. <laughs> Have they, my uh, friend Martin Scorsese instead. Did they make him an offering good review? Yes, they did. They Paramount, did. this is... Um, Coppola says, buy me a car, let me make the conversation, direct an opera and write The Great Gatsby and we've got a deal. And they say, yeah, whatever, we don't care. They also paid him a million (laughs) dollars. Yeah. It's a terrific deal all round. Yeah. I just, the Hugh, I just, it's such a... I I can't believe they said, when he said Martin Scorsese, I mean, what had Scorsese done at this point? Because they said, that's a horrible decision. Those were their words. Yeah, they just didn't want him. But it's just such a crazy industry. I mean, we can talk about that at length, but... They were horrible to him on The Godfather. And then they're like, oh, we loved it. Would you like to come back? I mean, it's just... It almost seems like if you're successful, people like you more. It's a funny industry like that, isn't it? Yeah, if you make someone loads of money, they (laughs) tend to want you to make them more money. Um, So again, a script by Coppola and Mario Puzo. Why you can rely on us never to be swayed by bigger power. (laughs) (laughs) No one's ever... No one's controlling us. This is authentic. We retain editorial independence at all times. It all changes with these Podfather episodes. (laughs) Very good. (laughs) You and Um, P words today. So Al Pacino comes back. We're just going to do the casting. Um, Although I did read... Pacino's lawyers told Coppola he didn't like the script mm. and he wasn't going to do it, which just makes me upset thinking about that. So Coppola rewrote it and then Pacino says that's fine or something. Yeah. So, I don't know. It sounds like a power play. Uh, yeah, I never thought of it like that, I guess. But mm. I, why, why, I don't know. Why do you need all of this? Why do you need to feel like a big man? Because, why, but why did Robert Duvall then sort of go, you have to pay me like more money? Um, I think they were offering him like... Uh, Pacino was being paid three or four times what Duval was being paid, and he said yeah. you can pay. He said you can pay Pacino twice what I'm worth, uh, what I what you pay me, but no more than that. Yeah. And they went no. Uh, well, they, that was for the third movie, sorry, but that's why. He so wasn't 
Um, Bit of a diversion there. We've got quite a lot to get through on part two, so I probably should stop talking <laughs> about part three. Chris is just shaking his head silently like a father. So now we've got, so we're losing Brando because it's a prequel as well as a sequel, and you've got a hot Robert De Niro. So we did talk briefly about him auditioning uh, mm. for The Godfather 1. I've seen the audition mm. where, so he's auditioning for Sonny, and it's the scene where Michael says he's going to go and do the hit in the restaurant. And it's, I just thought, like, fucking hell, just give him the fucking part. <laughs> like, it's so unnerving watching that screen test mm. audition, whatever they called it, because he's so good. And it's hard to think that they were like, not this time. That it's he, just... He said he was playing... Um, Coppola said he he made Sonny too much of a cold-blooded killer. Yeah. He was too frightening. Yes. Too intense. And so, yeah. And because I don't, know, I don't really watch like screen test auditions very much. So you, you see an actor that you recognise as Robert De Niro mm. and then you see him... I don't know any actors and he just switches it mm. and it's fucking terrifying because there is that scary man in front of you and then he's like, oh, was that good? It's mm. just and, mad. And how different... Okay his... for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and how different... Water. would history have been if he'd played that tiny role of Paulie in The Godfather oh, God, yeah. and he wouldn't have been able to be in this? Yeah. The gods were aligned. Mm. Um, James Kahn came back, uh, but just for the birthday flashback, which we'll get to. And this is everyone knows this. you know he was paid as much yeah. for a day's work as he was for the entire of The Godfather? And so, yeah, one scene, he gets the same. Mm. Um, and this is well known. Marlon Brando was supposed to be in that scene, uh, but didn't turn up. So they had to rewrite it sort of on the fly. Mm. Um, and then just a little bit about the the feeling, the you know the sort of the buzz like pre-release. Everyone was certain it was going to be awesome because Godfather One was awesome. But then uh, just before it was released, critics didn't like it, journalists didn't like it, uh, the audience didn't like it. They didn't get this cross cutting, this jumping back and forth. It was too frequent. It didn't give you time to let bed in with a character, and so they had to. Uh, they started to panic that they didn't have a huge hit. In the end, it didn't make as it didn't make as much money as The Godfather, did no. it? Uh, but it was nominated for a shit ton of Oscars hmm. and won Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor in a Supporting Role. It's the first sequel to win Best Picture. It's a and it's a huge juggernaut of a thing. Um, but it is interesting to think that pre-release, if everyone was like, "We're well, kind of done with it," like yeah, the San Francisco preview was the disastrous one. And and what they what Ruddy said is they were they were ten minute segments. In that version, it yeah. would flash back every ten minutes. They changed it to twenty minutes. Fine. Previewed it in San Diego. Suddenly, it works. Yeah. On your Oscar stats front as well, uh, Godfather and Godfather Part Two are the only original and sequel to both win Best Picture. Oh right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Nice. I got a lot of those. You what? It's your job. They're not real conversation starters. They're more like listen to this fact. They are. Carry yeah. on. They are what? They're conversational blind alleys. I like to think. Trivia. There's nothing I can say mm, apart from. Oh, okay. Yeah. Trivia is like that. Yeah, and then you end up in a bit of a one-upmanship. And, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And that's not a conversation. It's not a conversation. That's just talking at each other. This is a conversation. <laughs> kind of. Exactly. Yeah. A little bit. It is a little bit. For us. For that'll... you and me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Less shouting. All right. Fuck it. Let's just get into the film, shall, shall we? we? Yeah. Brilliant. Okay. So. I was gonna do, I was gonna do Vito's story and then Michael's story, but Francis Ford Coppola didn't do it like that for a reason, and the cuts are important. So even though it was changed from ten minute segments to twenty minute segments, I'm gonna try and stick to that because that's the way he wanted us to talk yep. about it. So <laughs> did he? Did he say that? That's the way I wanted to talk about it on Clash Pod. Yes, <laughs> in segments in my structure. Yes, you got the email there. I didn't know you had access to the email. Yeah, Francis emailed Chris this week. Chris emailed me. Right. Yeah, yeah. but left me out. He doesn't think women's stories are important. I guess I don't know. He didn't oh, like <laughs> very good. Yeah. He also didn't like your uh, your rewrite of collapsing characters on Monday's episode. <laughs> he was like, "Collapse Apollonia and Kay? Are you fucking kidding me? Why does she want me to call him Kay Polonia? <laughs> Apple Kay?" <laughs> 
<laughs> oh. Anyway, right, so here we go. So, other than that, he's a big fan of you. Other than that, he really loves what I do. Yeah, he does. Uh, so we've got Young Vito. Um, it's Sicily. It's the turn of the century. A bit of a rough start for Young Vito because his dad is killed by Don Ciccio and then his brother and then his mum. So we did talk about, the, we've talked about the violence in these films already. But say you came to Godfather 2, maybe Hans in Godfather 1, Straight away, the way that his mum is blown away. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Because yeah. yeah. you don't often see that. You see so many movies where people just get shot and fall and down. Collapse, it's yeah. the fact that she flies backwards. Yes, which feels real, mm. but is messing around. You know, in, in less capable hands would be silly. Yeah, it's, it's, almost, just, it's almost funny, yeah. but it, it isn't. But it's it, is. Ju- it's, it is. It's like uh, Sam Raimi does that a lot with mm. uh, his monsters and stuff. Yeah, but I think it's telling uh, that this, it, this film opens with a funeral. Yes. You know, the first film opens with a wedding. You know, there's this, yeah. there's death all around this one. And um, what I hadn't realised is all the all the stuff in the past with Vito is from the book, and all the stuff in the present with Michael is fresh new material written mm-hmm. by oh, Puzo and Coppola. Yeah, he started writing it before Godfather had been a hit. He yeah. started directly on the script for this because he wanted to. December 1971, he started, mm-hmm. and it was called the Death of Michael Corleone at the time. <laughs> Yeah, and then they wanted to call the third movie The Death of Michael Corleone as well. That's that title, they're struggling no, to get that off the ground. I, I think, I, no, I think he's called it that now. He just, he yes. just re-edited it and yeah, it's now, there's, there's now that yeah. cut. There's a colon in it, mm. yeah. So the help of a colon. So uh, Vito's got a run and he's on the he's runs off to um, Ellis Island, New York City. Oh, so, those Ellis Island scenes. Yeah, I'm going to come back to that. So put a pin in that for now because... Really? Can yeah. we talk about what a view he's got from his cell? I'd, I'd give my left arm to have a cell like that. <laughs> That's some prime real estate right amazing. there. <laughs> Even his smallpox. <laughs> <laughs> so then we... we he's with... a fucking kid. He doesn't deserve a view of the Statue of Liberty. Sure. He's in quarantine. Uh, so we've got Vito in quarantine on Ellis Island and then we're off to meet another young boy. So this is Anthony and it's Michael's son and it's his communion and we're in Lake Tahoe. And so we're mirroring the Godfather 1 in that we've got a big celebration. Michael's the Don and he's taking meetings and doing favours and getting the admin done. Apart from they are out of their element the way that they were mm. in the wedding. So the band don't know any songs from the old country yep. and Connie's a bit of a mess. Like She seems a bit strung out. And we've got Senator Pat Geary and he's just a racist and yeah. he's putting the squeeze on the family and he's quite clear about that. He's not scared of them and he's racially abusive towards them. So even though Michael was born in New York, it's like their Italianness to someone like Pat is to their, is a detriment. I agree. Than, uh, even in public, the senator's getting their names wrong. Yeah. Uh, mispronouncing them. They're, they're, you, you're right. They're lo- it's telling us they've lost this connection to the past. They're in Lake Tahoe, for God's sake. Like, yeah. it's, everything feels a bit fake. Yeah. And... Yeah, and, and it's only Pantanelli is the one who is trying to keep these traditions alive. He wants wine, not champagne from France. He speaks as in Italian more than he speaks in English to everyone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's the one that's desperate to keep this connection, whereas Michael's losing it. And the way that Pat Geary talks, you mean it's mad. Like the way, just because of the staring, and I know that we talked about it a lot already, but Pat, the way Pat Geary talks to Michael Corleone, even if he thinks, even if he thinks he's nothing, mm. you, the man is staring at you like that. Like it takes, you are so blind to mm. talk to him in that way. Like it's such a bold move. And the obviously, he's undressing gets, you with his eyes. But all, uh, yeah. I mean, I think that would be a real skill if, like, if, if, if Geary's uh, tie started to sort of unravel round his neck and it was actual power, like a Jedi. <laughs> Thing. But I'll just a bit embarrassed by it. It's like, I'm trying, this always happens. I'm so sorry. I'm not coming to you. It's, it's just. It's not me, it's my eyes. It's they do me. their own thing. You're, the buttons, though. It, you can see a nipple. Make it stop. Put some sunglasses on. Do something. <laughs> 
but, but so much of this is about uh, these films is trying to reflect what's happening in American society. Coppola's talked about Michael in this film. It's like, and and his and the mafia is like America and Nixon. He's becoming paranoid. He's wrapped in self righteousness, and that relationship between the politician and the mob boss is, you know, reminiscent of the Kennedys. Yeah. Of of how did how did how did Jack Kennedy get to power? Who killed Jack Kennedy? At the end, you know, at the end of the day, it's I'm not going to get into the conspiracy theories here. Who but... killed Marilyn Monroe? I don't know. Who killed Princess Diana? I don't know. All very important questions. For another podcast. But like Chris said, we're not going to get into it here. So if you came, wanting answers. Join us in the pub later <laughs> where me and you shout at each other because you say something fucking ridiculous. But this is also interesting in how it correlates with the, the scene with Vito because this is also telling us this is a story of immigrants here. Yes. And what are these immigrants having to do to integrate and at what cost? Yeah. And I think it sets it all up, just like the first film sets up the themes, this sets up the themes of this film. Well, this is the thing. So Michael is his dad now, except he's not quite. So you've talked about uh, Frank Pentangeli. Um, so he's in a, it's like a territory dispute. We'll do a little bit of plot because this is quite important, especially when we get to the Danny Aiello mistake in a bit. What mistake? But controversy. Um, so he's in a territory thing with the Risotto brothers. They work for Hyman Roth. And so Frankie Five Angels gets quite drunk. And by the parlance of this film, he's quite disrespectful to Michael, mm-hmm. which you don't think would happen to Vito, basically. No. Um, and so... Um, but there is a similarity between father and son, Vito and Michael, in terms of the overarching saga, because someone now tries to kill Michael and it's someone on the inside because the drapes are open, um, <laughs> which I do like, but I don't know. Never... Oh, is that? Oh, I didn't I didn't connect the two. Is that Unless what... I'm reaching, but uh-huh. it's like, why are the drapes open? Who? who? The key is who left the drapes open? Who left open? the drapes open? Who left the drapes open? I think it's a massive hole in the plot. Yeah, who did? Someone went into his bedroom and opened the curtains. And I feel like the only person who could do that is Fredo. But, okay, but it, Kate, yeah, okay, but Fredo makes it pretty clear that he doesn't know they're going to kill Michael. And yeah. whoever left the drapes open, it was so someone could kill Michael. Yeah. So how? Who? How of the? And what has Fredo given away? We actually never find out what the deal Fredo's made. So no. are you saying this is a mistake of the film because it makes us assume it's Fredo for the plot at this point, but then later on it undoes that? I don't think we assume it's Fredo at, Not this, at point. this point. No, but we it, all it, we need to know is that Michael is. This is for me, first time viewer. Mm. Michael kind of knows what's gone on, and now he's going to spend his sections of the film. There's going to be politics in Cuba and whatever, but he's just trying to move those chess pieces and affirm to himself mm. what he thinks he. Yeah. So who kills the two assassins that they find in the ditch? His, uh, one his of Michael's, people? Yeah, one of Michael's yeah. security guards. No, no, okay, no, but they were murdered by... They were murdered they by tried the person to kill who Michael. hired them, weren't they? Because Michael says they're dead already before he's had any any intel on where they are or they've been found. They find them in the ditch, which makes me think the person that hired them, the yeah. person, the insider, yeah. also killed them. I don't know. So forget the drapes for a moment. This is the bigger question. Sure. Not just who left the drapes open, who killed the assassins that were there to kill Michael? So many questions. Mm. I'll tell you what, let's have a, a small break and right. then we'll uh, do some questions. What, have I gone early again? No, it's fine though. pre I, mean, <laughs> I mean, you know, he did them in 10 minute segments. We normally do half an hour. I can't see the fucking clock. <laughs> How do you normally know then? Oh, is it eight minutes early? Yeah, it's a big uh, early one. I know because I feel it because just, I'm such a professional. I wonder if... If this is people's first pod, uh, because yeah. they love The Godfather Part 2, um, oh, right, yeah. I wonder no if, pressure. you know, at this sort of test screening, yeah. they're going to find that 22 minutes they've divided it up into parts. I'm, I'm not a fan. In my defensive stance. <laughs> you go whenever you want to go. You want a break? Yeah, too. I've said it now. I'm not going to, I'm definitely not going to back down, oh. obviously. 
A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Eureka, the show that gets under the skin of science in a good way. I'm Rick Edwards. And I'm Dr. Michael Brooks. Not the kind of doctor who'd be able to help much if you were having like a heart attack. But if you're wondering about quantum physics or the theory of matter, he's your man. Well, probably. Every week, we're asking a new, puzzling question from the world of science and discovering the answer with the help of a world-leading expert. Like, will we ever talk to animals? They are definitely talking. You know, that's, again, a word that I would qualify because we usually mean that vocally. But in their own ways, they're talking to us every single day. Are face transplants the future of cosmetic surgery? Given that range of what's considered attractive, there's probably no point wanting to change your face to be more attractive if you follow science. And should we fear an alien invasion? If an imperialistic drive brings uh, other civilizations to us, then obviously it's not good news. But if it's scientific exploration, it may be good news. If you're interested in learning a little bit more about the weird, magnificent world around us, then this is the show for you. Eureka. Subscribe now and find us on Twitter at EurekaPod. New episodes every Wednesday. Eureka is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. All right, so we're back. (laughs) You know you have to pause speaking for a second. I did. Didn't I? (laughs) For you, yeah. Anyway, Blondie trying to get that break in. <laughs> that's why. That's why if you ever listen to the shows and you do a break, it always goes. Well, so you have to break, <laughs> and we're back. Well, I haven't got years of fucking experience like you, so <laughs> just okay.
<laughs> anyway, so like I said, the rest of the story. I just want the best for you. So after you say the word break, yeah, do a break. Right. Okay. <laughs> I just need to know if we're back from the break because at this rate, we're going to be at the normal time for a break. <laughs> This is going to be longer than The Godfather Part 2 if we're not careful. And, uh, oh, right, wait, wait. Pause. And we're back from the break. I don't understand. Don't say pause. Right, so everyone be quiet. It's Ready? fine. We're back anyway. We're back right, now. Right, we're, we're, back. we're already back. Can we... Thankfully, we have a wonderful producer in yeah, London who is going to find a way to make this work. <laughs> to stop you mid-sentence. <laughs> Michael speaks to his son. And we know, we kind of get the sense that Michael's going to try and figure out who killed him. And he says to Anthony, one day you might help me. Okay, this is important because then we go back to Vito, Mm. who's now settled in New York and he's gorgeous, Robert De Niro. And he's got a wife and son. It's unbelievable. Mm. Um, I didn't recognise him at first. I saw, I've seen Taxi Driver, which is obviously after this. But that's as far, that's my furthest back De Niro. He seems to have aged a lot between this and Taxi Driver, agree, unless they yeah. actively tried to make him even more beautiful in this through the use of makeup. Through perhaps. the use of makeup, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's, uh, I don't know, he just is, it's astonishing. But you, it really you've, is. Got the, you've got this Gordon Willis lighting. I know I banged mm. on about it on Monday, but he lights people beautifully, whereas Taxi Driver is much more stark. Yeah. And so this is why, just this is why I just asked you before just to put a pin in the Ellis Island thing, because I just wanted to tie it to the theatre scene about mm. the use of extras, the attention to detail, the feedback. And all, obviously all the street scenes later with Vito at the Festo and then when he's running across the rooftops. But the way that these scenes made me feel, it's like it's like a time machine. Like It's unreal how lavish and lush and gorgeous and realistic. It's like a documentary, but it's better because mm. you get to have a story that you can mess around with. It's just a completely immersive experience. Mm. You would you would sit in that theatre forever. It's just mind blowing mm. what they what they were able to do, and the Ellis Island scene is a brilliant example of that as well. Just you feel like you you know someone looks at the camera at one point, a woman in the queue, and it, that feels like you've just dropped in in the past mm. because of course you would look at the camera because what's the camera doing on Ellis Island? It's unreal. Maybe because you're talking about Ellis Island, but I think and I don't love the movie, but I think in terms of transporting you to a period, Scorsese's Gangs of New York is yeah. another film that does a similar thing. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, so. Uh, Vito sees Don Fanucci. He's at the theatre. He's being a bit of a dick, and oh, then I love Don Fanucci. Do you? I I really I wasn't sure at first, but as it went on, I was like, I actually think this character is great. I think it's helpful that he's a bit of a clown mm. because he doesn't. He is a threatening man to inquire much a normal person, but Vito isn't that threatened by him because obviously he's ultimately going to murder him. But if he was quietly threatening and glowering and simmering the way that Marlon Brando is. Um, you wouldn't necessarily think that Vito could go against him, but it seems he seems like a winnable opponent if you've got the nerve to do it. Yeah, I, I, I just like the fact when he switches from being sort of like the laughing, jovial, big, white-suited man yeah. to like actually being menacing. It yeah. works, that juxtaposition mm. of those yeah. two. Um, and Vito loses his job at Abandando's grocery shop because of Fanucci. So mm-hmm. it, this the film, I think, is trying to say to me, he's tried to do it right. He's tried to be, quote, almost a good immigrant, mm-hmm. have a baby, you know, go straight kind of thing. Um, but he's he's, un, he's unable to because there are certain forces moving against him. I do think as well, though, when young Bruno Kirby turns up, which I was not expecting, <laughs> I love Bruno Kirby, as a young Clemenza, I do think he's this is a, fr- a phrase I'm fond of, like pushing on an open door with him. Like when Bruno, when Clemenza's mm. like, come and steal this rug, Vito's not like, what? I could never, you're joking. He's like, okay, fine, basically. Yeah, and I, I think it's because Vito has got a lot going on in the back of his head, having lost his father, having witnessed his mother get shot yeah. and blown away in front of his eyes. Like there's a lot going on. His silence is masking, we don't know what's going on mm-hmm. in that head and 
we come to find out it's dark. Yeah. So then we're back with Michael. So this is the big moment that you don't know about, but Chris will tell you lots about. I've, I've got it, but Chris will have it better. So we're back in oh, Michael's so timeline. <laughs> this shouldn't be this big a moment, but bear in mind where we are in the plot. So Michael has told Frank Pentangeli to make things work with the Risotto brothers because yep. he needs Hyman Roth on side, right? 100%. So They're already. Frank goes to see the Risotto brothers. Yep. Tony Risotto, played by Danny Aiello, mm-hmm. tries to kill him yep. and says... Michael Corleone says hello. So you're like, oh, you've been double-crossed. Wasn't supposed to say it. Was an ad-lib, apparently, because Mm. if you say a line, you get paid. Francis Ford Coppola thought it sounded cool, so it stays in. But it completely undoes a lot of the logic of Mm. the film. Because Michael Corleone didn't didn't Didn't, order this kill. This kill has nothing to do with Michael. Mm. So to say Michael Corleone says hello... The only reason he can be doing it is to maybe upset Frank in the moment before he dies, to make Frank think before he dies. Yep, but because he's not Michael, supposed to die. But it doesn't really make sense. He is, as in, sorry, he's supposed to die, but he yeah. doesn't. Yeah, he is supposed to die, but shh. And so having heard that, he survives it. And having heard that, he that feeds into his turning. But it's not real. It's not true. He was supposed to die. Yeah, the two so things. So it makes no it, sense. Oh, Michael Corleone didn't, didn't okay. order the hit anyway. Mm. Definitely. Yeah, sorry, because I was going to say, well, they want to convince Frank that it was Michael, but no, he, was he was supposed to die. He was supposed to die. die. He was yeah, a policeman. Yeah, yeah. I get you. So, so it doesn't work. It's a mistake that should have been taken out of the film. Yeah. It upsets the logic. The, as I say, the only way it can work is if Rosato, in, in his dying seconds, uh, wanted Frank to be upset. Okay. And to think Michael had done this to him. Yeah. But that's that doesn't really Reaching. hold much sway. Yes, mm. exactly. Danny Aiello is right. It is a cool line. Michael mm. Corleone says hello. Yeah. But for a cool line, it took me out of the film for mm. such a long time. So there's so many things going on. Uh-huh. And I'm trying to figure out this double cross that never was. I didn't notice it. But okay. uh, I guess if I had, I would have become confused. Who closed, who opened the drapes? And why did he say that? <laughs> so we got three now. Why did he say that? Who opened the drapes and who killed the assassins? I think, yeah. I think Michael's security guards killed the assassins. And right. I just, I wish, you know, I wanted, obviously when you're watching a film for the podcast, you're trying to be like hyper alert as well, which with a film like this, I just wanted to, it's yes. one of the first films I just wanted to sit back and let it wash over me and just be in that time mm-hmm. period. And I and yeah, it's, frankly, it's, but it's it's it gets in your head, doesn't it? Because it is actually quite complicated. The yeah. who who ordered these kills? Because Michael says that it's Hyman Roth, and Michael says that it's uh, Frank yeah. uh, who'd ordered these. It's just it just it messes up what's already quite a complicated yeah. plot. And it took me out of it twice because I was like, oh, I've got to take notes, and I don't really get it. Yeah, and I want it to wash over me, and I have to really pay attention, and I'm wasting brain energy figuring this out when actually it's just a mistake. So what has Coppola said? He's has he ever apologised or sort of gone, yeah, that was a mistake? I think he said he thought it was a cool line. Yeah, I think that's I think that's all I've heard He's him never say. Never talked about. I've heard the Danny logic. Aiello talk about it and said I, I wanted to have a line. I wanted and, to get big. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So, me. Are you allowed to do that? If you don't have a line, just say a line. Didn't People you go. Did you try and overreach when you were in Juice fucking Bigelow <laughs> something something? Don't didn't pretend you... you don't know it's called Juice Bigelow, European Gigolo. European Gigolo. Mm. You did try and overreach, didn't you? Uh, well, no. They said just have fun with one of but the. But don't fucking talk. <laughs> they, had, they said have fun with the, 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 the villain, uh, the villainous man whore on the red carpet of the Golden Boners. And <laughs> I, I, I did. And I assumed he was going to improv with me. 
And and he sort so of your improv partner let you down. I, it was him, yeah. Because <laughs> if he'd been as good at improv as me, yeah. that whole sequence would have made it into the film. It was funnier than a lot of Juice Bigelow European Jigglers. As, as good as you are, as natural as you are, as yeah. well respected as you are, mm. you, you sometimes other people just start playing catch up. I was like, why have you asked me to fly out to Amsterdam to shoot sure. this scene? Yeah. Because if I'm not going to improv, then you know how am I stamping my mark on it? There are, are a million people who could do this. <laughs> I, I overreached. I overreached when I was an extra in the sex thriller Killing Me Softly starring Joseph Fiennes and Heather Graham. Is this Beca- when you, your Crystal Palace got? Yeah. I was yeah. supposed to dress where just... Uh, Why dress- did you do that? Didn't you so tell I could us, spot myself. Didn't you tell us this story literally yeah. last week? I didn't know if I told the scarf bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you yeah. did. Exactly. Because that is the story. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, it's just something you did one day. <laughs> that, is def- that is definitely the story. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to tell it again next week and then you'll understand it's a story good well I'm glad on uh, the Godfather part 2 episode we've managed to talk about Killing Me Softly and Juice Bigelow again. European Gigolo <laughs> what, about, what about Hyman Roth what about the Hyman Roth anyway uh, meanwhile so did you the family the Corleone family in order to frame Pat Geary and sort of get him back on side because he's an arsehole yes they have had or killed themselves uh, a sex worker yes so I just don't think it works now no it does no sorry it does work now but it only to put you on the path of this family is going bad because the moral code that we had, which we did talk about in the last episode, yes. is that you're not going to kill an innocent no, woman. No, in the previous film, it's. It, I mean, it's. It, I love the way it matches up. In the previous film, it was a horse yes. that's dead in a bed. Yeah. Here, it's an innocent woman. Yeah. Um, And here, the shocking thing is it's Tom Hagen. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, Tom yeah. Hagen who's overseen this, which I did not see coming and I'd forgotten. And that is shocking. Mm. Yeah. Because he's the one guy you thought... Was nice. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so then we're in Cuba. Hyman Roth, super excited by it's all this. It's good, the... isn't it, in Cuba? It, I don't know. I like the gold phone because I thought that was very Scarface. Mm. But I found this sort of... I like the spectacle of it. Yes. I like this. Yeah, every time there's a crowd scene, wherever they are, it's incredible. And also I did not know... This part of Cuba's history. I mean, I was aware of sorry, aware of this part of Cuba's history, but I didn't understand that like, you know this was the uh, the communist uprising. Yeah, it's yeah. an incredible thing. You know, I went there about three three four years ago on holiday, mm. and it looks like it did that day. It changed. Mm. You know, the, the place has not changed. It's an um, it's a, it's like going in, it's spending time in a time capsule. Yeah. Um, I love. Uh, I, I'm re- I'm a big fan of Lee Strasberg playing because oh you know he he'd not acted before mm. uh, in film. He's an, he's obviously the most famous acting te- one of the most famous actors. He's in the acting studio, the method. But um, he, he his character Hyman Roth is based on Maya Lansky, who was nicknamed the Mob Accountant. Mm. And apparently, shortly after the premiere, Maya Lansky phoned Lee Strasberg up, congratulated him on a good performance, and added, "You could have made me more sympathetic." <laughs> <laughs> wow, <laughs> he is particularly unsympathetic. He is, but I like the fact that he will hold a meeting not wearing a shirt. Mm. Power move. Power move. Yeah. Total power move. Ba- based on a based on a, cop- a meeting Coppola had with Eli Kazan, and Eli Kazan didn't wear a shirt. Really? And like, I'm using that. <laughs> <laughs> the big moment in there's a couple of big moments in Cuba, but the um, the first big moment for me is rather than a big crowd scene, which I do like, is mm. uh, Fredo and Michael going for a drink. Mm. So there's just so much Ooh, in this. Like, there's a lot going there's on. There's so much. So Fredo is drinking a banana daiquiri. <laughs> Michael doesn't drink, so he's just on soda water. Um, that tells you a lot about the two, you know, <clears throat> what they're there to do. Michael's there to work. Fredo's there to have fun. But when they're drinking and then Fredo, what does he say? Why couldn't we do this before? Or why, why have we never done this before? Mm. What does he say? Something like that. 
it's just the act that like is he called John Cazale? He's fucking awesome. But you you're watching, you're reading it at the same time as Michael reading it. It's like, where does that statement come from? That's a regretful statement. Yeah. Like, where has that come from? Mm. But also, you said... I wouldn't have done what I'd done well, yeah. had we had time to mm. do this before. Yeah. And also, why didn't you do it before? Like, mm. why have you let things get this bad? And it makes you side... You don't really... You you know, you've got an idea that Michael's figuring out what's going on, but you do feel bad... You feel sorry for Fredo that he just didn't get time with his brother. Yeah, I think, I think that's it. I think <laughs> Fredo is the more sympathetic one in this, despite the... Allusion to the fact he's double-crossed Michael. Yeah. It is the fact that Michael hasn't had time for him. Yeah. And so Fredo is like, genuinely, I would have loved to have done this and I've probably not done that for another thing. Yeah, but and we're it's wa- too late now. But we're watching Pacino watching him. Yes. Because Pacino's testing everyone throughout this movie and, and obviously and he, also- gets his, he gets confirmation really mm. soon. But at this point... He's just not sure, and it's really interesting. And it's next level scary staring, yeah. even though he says banana daiquiri, yeah. which is amazing. <laughs> he does that thing that you were talking about the other week about where you don't say anything and force the other person yeah. to speak in a <laughs> meeting. Yeah. yeah, it's a sales tactic. Sales tactic. What's that again? A sales t- is when um, when you're trying to ask someone for a large sum of money, yep. especially if you're British and you're asking a British person, the Americans are much better at it because they're more comfortable with asking for money. But British people are terrified of asking for and being asked for money. Uh-huh. So in selling or if you're working for a charity, trying to get money from someone and all the rest of it, you so you lay it all out, you basically bring them to, you know, lead the horse to water. <clears throat> then you finally say something like, I can see that you're very passionate about this cause and is it something that you think you could make a financial commitment to? And then you stop talking and you just stare at them and it's awful. And so to break the silence, they go, yes. (laughs) (laughs) But you can't talk and it's hot for me. Yeah. Impossible. Have you ever pulled it off? (laughs) Yeah, of course I (laughs) have. Or you could do. Let me tell you a bit more about it. (laughs) Yeah, that's what people do because you're staring and you're waiting for them to break and you want to help them out. You're British, you're dying. And so you start going... Oh, what? Tell you what. Email me in the morning. Let's not worry about it. Blah blah. <laughs> but if you just keep staring, I guarantee you they will say yes. It's a good one. I like it. So he's doing that, mm. and he's still saying banana daiquiri. Still Are you a fan of a banana daiquiri? Uh, I wouldn't not drink it, but no, I don't... <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's take that as red. <laughs> Do you like them? I like daiquiris, right, okay. but I would have any other daiquiri. I've never had one, and after watching this, I was like. I quite fancy a banana daiquiri. I mean, I would just, I'd, I think I'd just rather have the rum than put the banana in it. But, you know, whatever. Right. Oh. Uh, Favourite daiquiri, in case you're wondering, is a Hemingway daiquiri, just for future reference. With Hemingway in it. With Hemingway in it. Mm, I've, I've had one in Cuba. <laughs> did you? Yeah. Oh, I'm so jealous. At his bar. You did you? Yeah. I mean, I'm mad jealous. You could, see, oh you could see where he would prop up the bar yeah, and go and have a st- There's like a queue of people wanting to stand there. Me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's nice. I went to see a Mr. Hemingway's house in Key West. Did yeah, it's got loads of six-toed cats after he was gifted one. <laughs> I went to his house in Cuba. Yeah. I went to his one in Key West. Okay, cool. You have both you, win. Have you been to any of his houses? No. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> Boys! Uh, everything is a competition. Well, we don't so often anyway. high-five. No, you don't, actually. Uh, you should do it more, <laughs> bros. So uh, we're going to go to, I think it's a sex show. I don't know. Um and Fredo at this sex show again, big crowd scene, which I like before we get to New Year's Eve. But he lets slip that he does know Roth's right hand man. And so therefore, like the implication is by extension that he was definitely mm. involved in the murder attempt. Yes, he's already told Michael he doesn't know him. Yes, that's so, it. So yeah. so this this tells Michael. But also, we, you just feel sorry for Fredo as well because he's at this sex club thing. Not sex, a sex it show. It is, it's a sex show. A yeah, sex it's show, a, yeah. Sorry. Superman was a real 
touring sex performer. Yeah, and but Fredo's really excited because he's about to see some sex. And he is. He, he's just, he's like, oh, I love this place. I love this place. And Johnny told me about it. And he's just excited. And Michael's not because his head is in a different place and he can deal with something like that. Because Fredo's drunk, yeah. Yeah. And so, again, you just feel like Fredo is just a little, not a little boy, but just not in control of his impulses in the same way that his mm. younger brother is. You can call him an idiot. Yeah. He's a fucking <laughs> yeah, idiot. He's an, yeah, he's an idiot. As we said on Monday, you want to party with him, but you wouldn't put your business affairs in his hands. No. You wouldn't trust him to get um, you an Uber, I don't think. Um, I, I like the fact that, that Johnny Ola, uh, Roth's right-hand man, that's Junior Soprano from The Sopranos, if you've ever watched that show. <laughs> Okay, I wish I've I'd tried to make Nettie watch it, and her exact words were, "I just imagine it's like The Godfather, but fucking longer." Goes on forever. Mm. Yeah, it's The Godfather, but it's three years of your life. Yeah, yeah, basically. Yeah, um, it's a TV series. Mm. And then at the party, are you calling Nettie stupid? <laughs> <laughs> um, are you two all right? Yeah, yeah? we'll high five again. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've been yeah, no. <laughs> bros before hoes, whatever. Anyway, at the party, the New Year's Eve party, Michael gives Fredo the kiss of death. I didn't know what the kiss of death was, right? Mm. And, to, and Mark used to say it a lot, and I'd not seen The Godfather. And so he said it once, and I was like, it's just like, what? He's like, oh, someone's given you, just giving you the kiss of death. Oh, is that what it's called? Yeah, yeah, and I don't know. I don't know what it was. It was a relative of something. Something he was at, and I was like, "What are you talking about?" And he's like, "Oh, it's when Michael Corden grabs Fredo's face and gives him that big aggressive kiss." Mm. And it made me laugh. But then seeing the film, it didn't make me laugh because it's quite scary. Every story you tell about Mark makes him seem ever so slightly weirder. So now he's <laughs> yeah. wandering around, going bowl it, mushy, bowl it, <laughs> or going that's the kiss of death. Someone's giving you there. <laughs> bowl it, mushy, bowl it. That's the kiss yeah. of death right there. I know. Mm. I know, and everything's fine. So don't worry about me and Mark. <laughs> we are fine. Um, anyway. Um, <laughs> okay. Okay. Cool. Sorry, are you slagging Mark? No. <laughs> hey, let's high five again, Chris. <laughs> no, I want to talk about Godfather. Yeah. All right, fine. Um, but anyway, you know, big scene. Michael telling Fredo that he's broken his heart. Um, and so then let's talk about babies <laughs> because Kay loses the baby. Mm. And all Michael wants to know is whether or not it was a boy, which is just upsetting when mm. you're talking about a miscarriage because what you're actually thinking is, are you asking Tom Hagen if he picked through the wreck of a miscarriage to check the sex of the child, mm. which is very, very upsetting and a bit dark. Yeah. And the then we cut to... In the past, baby Fredo, yeah. he's got pneumonia. Baby Fredo's he's got weak. pneumonia. He's weak from the the day the one. Mm. And the, there's a there's a woman there. The women are fretting about the baby, and it looks like a very homemade remedy because they wouldn't be able to mm. afford the doctors. I think it's there to sort of give the the uh, veto maybe the last push that he needs to get rid of Don Fanucci because if you could afford medicine, mm. you know, a pneumonia in a baby in that day and age, very very worrying and mm. potentially fatal. So. He needs to get rid of Don Finucci. There's a deleted scene I like here where Vito goes to visit a gunsmith and the gunsmith is called Augustino Coppola. Francis's granddad was a gunsmith called Augustino Coppola. <laughs> and while they're there, he's got a son there, Carmine, who plays the flute. Francis's dad <laughs> yeah. is called Carmine and plays the fruit. So when he says that this is the most expensive home movie ever made, he really means it, <laughs> if you see the full version. And Vito does dispatch Don Fanucci and he prowls across the rooftops and all the detail in the festival scene is just amazing. Mm. And actually, so we talked about um, 
Marlon Brando as Don Corleone being like a big lovable teddy bear. Mm. But Robert De Niro as uh, Vito here, when he kills Don Fanucci, doesn't just kill him. So it's that it's an overkill. He is dead. Yes. Is he, he? Yes. Okay. Well, I guess Definitely. I guess wouldn't it mean yeah, well, well yeah, I guess it means you can't have an open casket. Is that why he's done it? Oh, I don't know. Mm. That's a good point. No. Puts the gun in his I know, mouth. I, I, I know. I know what you're thinking because that's a thing, but it's not in this case because you have you actually literally obliterate the face. For so no why did he? Why did he put the gun in his mouth when to he's me, already dead? I I swear because it's so weird. I had this conversation with Nettie. He isn't dead when he's lying against the door. He's still dying, and Vito cannot make any. Uh, there can be no doubt that he is totally dead. Otherwise, Vito is gone from this planet. So he's just making sure he's dead. Oh, okay. Hadn't he? Okay, I thought he'd shot him in the chest and the head. There is a point where he's not dead, and then he looked dead to me, right. and then it looked like an overkill. But but again, know. this is Coppola talking about these little details he liked with the light bulb and then the 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 cloth mm. coming on fire. That's just additions that wouldn't happen in other films. Like yeah. every time there's a moment of violence, he had so, he had some weird visual flourish. Yeah. yeah. And well, after murdering Don Fanucci, Vito goes and sits on the steps with his family, and he kisses baby Michael, mm. and he's really in his family, which is important because then we go back to Michael, who's on the out side of his family not until we've had an intermission oh yeah I should have taken the intermission I didn't I just powered through did that come up on your version of it yeah Yeah, it's quite I should have had a break those were the days yeah get a bit of ice cream have a wee get back to it Um, (laughs) so Michael is on the literal outside of his family this this was an important moment for me which I'm going to talk about a toy car for like a little bit which seems a bit daft in a film of this much scope but here we go so Tom Hagen got Anthony, Michael's son, a toy car for Christmas because Michael was away. And then Michael's standing there outside the family home and the toy car has been discarded because it's snowing and Tom Hagen has already said this car has got a little electric motor and it makes it go and it's really cute. In fact, it doesn't say cute and fun, but it would be cute. So that car will be broken because Anthony didn't want the car. Anthony wanted his dad back for Christmas and didn't get it. And now this discarded expensive toy because... Um, well, it probably would have been quite expensive. It's just sitting there. And Michael is very... That's to show that Anthony didn't get what he wanted for Christmas. Mm. He wanted his dad. And so Michael is just standing there and he he can't become his own dad because his dad, he now realises, was brilliant at all these different spinning plates that it takes to be the Don, be in your family mm. rather than being on the outside. Obviously, the very like on-the-nose thing about a man who's not... What is the line? Not in his family. is never a man or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, you know, you've seen Vito in Godfather 1 playing properly playing with a child mm. and now Michael is ostracised from his family standing next to a discarded toy like it's just very powerful symbolism that's a good spot um, and I don't think it's because I don't think Anthony has discarded the toy because he's spoiled as well they do have money but like when Michael walks into the house Kay's at a sewing machine so she's either mending her own clothes or making her own clothes or doing something to show frugality so in all of that it's like Anthony's discarded the toy not because he's a spoiled brat in any way it's because he just it isn't what he wanted um, so that's the that's the toy car mm-hmm. part. There Good. we go. Um, and then we're at the Senate, and this is—I mean, I don't think I'm supposed to laugh, but it is funny. Like Pat Geary is now like some of my best friends are Italian Americans, which <laughs> yeah, is like the racist tour, which made me laugh. And then Kate. So back to Kate. Let's talk about Kate for a bit. She hears your husband is head of the most powerful mafia family in the country, and she does not look happy. Mm-hmm. So I still don't get. She's got a big scene coming up. But does she like the life she's had? Does she like the money? Has she ever threatened to leave him before she does it? Um, Isn't it that the, the fact that she... It's all about this this, this time frame he put on it. Because, yeah, this promise. Yeah, oh, okay. it was like... Because he promises if in five, five years, years, you know, we're going to be clean. We're not going to be gangsters anymore. 
and and she's clung on to that possibly more than he ever thought she would when he said it. Perhaps it was a bit. Perhaps he meant it at the time, and then you know he sort of forgotten about it. But now she's still like, you made a promise, and that's yeah. why I'm still here, and that's not the case. Yeah. Okay. So the scene coming up where she does take says she's going to take the children. I had to watch it twice because the first time I watched it, I was like, have you, because he says it to her, have you ever met him? This is not going to go well. If you want to leave with the children, it might not work, but tell him a lie. So I'll see you at home and then you never see him again because if you say to him that that's what's going to happen, you're not going to get what you want. So then I was like, is another reading of it, she is honest with him because she wants him to change her mind, which is what he tries to do. And he says when she's threatened to take the kid, well, she hasn't threatened it, she's just told him. And he's like, I will change and you'll be glad that I stopped you from leaving. And maybe that's what she wanted. Then when I watched it again, and this is my definitive reading, is that he hasn't been with the family and she's honest with him because she thinks he's going to say yes because he doesn't seem that bothered about his children. And actually, if she'd just gone home... He wouldn't have seen them anyway and she kind of could have had the life she was reaching for, although she would have been a prisoner. She would have kept her kids. Mm. But because she was honest with him, because she thought that he'd be like, fuck it, you know, I'm, a, I'm, my pride is offended, but I actually don't care. So she was completely honest with him. And then he only wants the kids because it's a point of pride rather than... He doesn't actually want to look after his own children. He just doesn't want her to win the kids. And then when she tells him about the abortion, he's Catholic, it was a boy, this is not going to go very well, and so that's the end it's of her. It's a really harrowing scene when she says that. Yeah, it is. Although, again, it was... It was how old was... She wasn't long pregnant when she had it, was she? was three she? and a half months, which oh, okay. is like... No, uh, yeah. it's yeah, not yeah, good. Yeah. Um, not that you know what I mean. It's just it's a bit of an undertaking, and um, and he's so hung up about a boy, and so she's like, all of this has to end now, and she must know at that point if you tell a Sicilian Catholic who's obsessed with boy children that you've aborted that boy, mm. especially because it's the seventies as well. Like it's not like um, attitudes towards abortion have changed over the well, years. It's not but- long been. Um, legal because that's why she because you know for me a modern viewer she's like it's unholy and it's like whoa come on Diane Keaton like it's an abortion it's fine mm. but the, that fits it's not with Diane the language Keaton. <laughs> yeah <Kate. laughs> but it fits with the language of the time because where are we in the timeline like and what and she has done she has aborted it purely because she did not want to have another child by him she yes. wouldn't have known it was a boy mm. by the medicine of the time right but she would have known she was pregnant so yeah she just didn't want another, yeah she didn't want another child she didn't want to she was disgusted by what was happening around her uh yeah, yeah. wow yeah why what did you think no i was just making sure it's just a quite a shocking thing to do well yeah. I, I the thing that it makes me then question is Kay is a prisoner you know we've got doors shutting on her but we also have a gate shut on her so i believe that if she had an abortion, Tom Hagen must have been involved. Yeah. Because uh-huh. he was watching her. So I don't... Uh, I, feel... I believe, but again, by the, the mores and the legalities of the time, someone had to procure it for you. Like, Because where are they? In the 50s now or mm. the 60s? You couldn't just go and get it. Someone had to go with you mm. and, and get it for you. So he would have done it. Yeah, which is she's why a prisoner. So, yeah, he on. then says, when he's talking to Michael, he... I don't know, you don't see the scene, but they've agreed between them to tell him it was a miscarriage. So, because it's Tom Hagen that tells mm. Michael it was a miscarriage, but he, she, he, someone would have known. You can't sneak. It's very hard to sneak out and do it. So I think he would have known. So I think I think there should be some repercussions the, yeah, from there's that, a which missing don't really scene. happen in the yeah. film. Yeah. But anyway, that's the end of her kind of thing. Um, and we, we'll come back to her in, in a bit. Um, 
But then it's really about the brother's story. So Michael tells Fredo that he's nothing and he never wants to see him. And then you get a bit more understanding of what Fredo's deal is, (laughs) what his motivation is, Mm. which he's the older brother and he's been stepped over. So because I only saw this the other week, but I have watched all of Succession, Mm. it just just put me in mind of that, of like Conor Roy being the the older brother, but he's completely out of the running. I spent... I spent about an hour when I couldn't sleep the other night trying to figure out which Roy child is which Corleone child. Yeah. I was trying to figure <laughs> out who's Roy, who. I think there's, you know... <laughs> I've got it written I think in my Conor phone. Conor Roy's quite obviously Fredo. <laughs> yes. Like, he's a clown. Fredo's more, um, uh, what's the word, exaggerated. Mm. But he's enjoying the money. He's not taken seriously. He's the oldest. He's mm-hmm. been overlooked, stepped over. Nobody takes him seriously. He's there to sort of... But also, you've got your man who goes against the family like Fredo does and betrays the family like Fredo does. Um, you know, the main guy now. Yeah. yeah. Which, which Roy is that? Kendall. Kendall. Kendall Roy. Yeah. So it just... Yeah. I'm just... I don't know where... I, it, it's, it's me more than Fredo, but I'm just surprised that he's got such a chip on his shoulder because he has it quite good. Or he had it quite good. The, you know, he... He just had, wants respect, Alex. Wants, I know. And it's such a... I think that's the bit where I'm like, really? Yeah. You're going to yeah. do all this just for respect and end oh, up losing... I think his speech is very powerful. He sells that to me. And yeah. and, and and also just the, the, the body language. Yeah. It's like he hasn't got any bones anymore. He's just lying. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a, he's in the dark and he's just lying back on that couch. And, and the respect thing, the, the currency of this family is respect as well as money. But you know what I mean? Actually, you know what? Tell her like, because I did work out in my head and I thought if that was my little brother and that was me, yeah, be I'd curious. be fucking living. Aren't we all the oldest sibling? Mm. Uh, no, Chris isn't. Yes, I am. Yeah, you are. So we we get it. Like if our younger sibling was, was the way that they are, mm. it, it just it blows your mind that your younger sibling could talk to you in That's that way. It, yeah. it mm. just does. And when you put it in those terms, yeah, uh, that would infuriate me yeah because mm. who the fuck are you mm. <laughs> like, and also how fucking dare you he, yeah he calls it you, I resent the crummy jobs you send me on yeah um, it's, it's this has been building and building and building and he's smart <laughs> <laughs> I'm smart but also yeah the, the, Michael should understand more than anybody what respect what, what that means to someone because Kay has just disrespected him by threatening to take his kids and he's clamped down very hard on that so he get he should get it but he can't have it. That's just the way it is. Like he understands it, but it doesn't mean he can let it go. No, and he, I don't think he can. I don't think he can trust Fredo from here on in. That's if it's uh, happened well, once, it'll happen again. He's a drunk idiot. That's, that's the big question. That's that. That really is the big question in okay. terms of in, in terms of should he kill Fredo or, or or not? Because has has Fredo been broken now? Is Fredo back in the family? Is, yeah. Does he just want to be close to Michael, look after Anthony, be part of the family? Or is there genuinely the potential that he could do it again like Michael and, thinks? And the, the beautiful ambiguity of the film is we, we just don't know what Fredo did. No. Whatever it was, he, he says he didn't know it was going to be a hit and he says he thought it was going to be good for the family. Mm. He might just be saying that or if that's true, then, you know, maybe he didn't do that much wrong. But we just we never find out the details of the deal that he made. And so I, I love that. I mean, and the thing is, he's already dead because if he's if he's smart and as in becomes aware of himself and becomes very smart and even though he's like I'm smart, but if he seems quite sharp, then he's dead because if you're sharp enough to know what you did, then you'll probably do it again. Yep. But if you're too stupid to know what you did, you might do it again by accident. So yep. it doesn't you can't win. So it's over anyway for him, yeah. I think. Um, so young Vito, meanwhile, is in Sicily doing a little bit of murder, but um, a little bit of revenge murder. We'll sort of leave that. 
and then we'll wrap things up. Yeah, I sort of felt like that about that. I was like, it's fine. Yeah, nice holiday. It was good. good. I like, you know, again, it's like we've been talking about another weird death having a knife dragged up through your abdomen. Don't see that every day. There's a deleted scene that's a nice bit of foreshadowing where before he kills Don Ciccio, he kills one of Don, couple of Don Ciccio's men. One lying in bed, and another he takes um, out on a on a fishing rowboat. Oh, really? Oh, nice. And he goes and gets <laughs> him out there. Does it cut back to Fredo getting <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where it fits in, actually. It might be a bit too on the nose, but right. it's it's there. So wrapping things up. So Connie, Connie's changed a lot now. So she gets her big moment and she's like pleading for Fredo and she just gets a very scary hug mm. from her brother. It's a good return. scene. She's saying, I forgave you. For killing my husband. Yes. Why can't you forgive our brother? Yeah. It's a great. It's a great scene. Yeah, it is. And because she seems a bit straightened out, you mm. you're with her. You she's the voice of reason. Mm. She she's trying to reason with a monster now. Yeah. And Frankie Five Angels is encouraged to fall on his sword mm. with oh Tom Hagen. Oh my god, this thing's so good. <laughs> <laughs> it's good because it's the pacing is excellent. So it's like he doesn't. It's like he doesn't get it, and then the minute he gets it, he doesn't make a. He doesn't put up a fuss. He's like. That's what I'll go he, and do. He's, then. you know, I, I love the stuff about the Roman Empire. Yeah. But but he says farewell to Tom with genuine affection. Yeah. You know, you look after my family. I'll go kill myself. Thank you. Mm. You yeah. know, <laughs> <laughs> it's so it's just this honourable death. That, and that actor sells the shit out of it as well. Like yeah. he's fantastic. Yeah. He's got three very expensive cigars in the deal as well. <laughs> Michael V. Gazzo is the actor. Mm. Um, Kay gets caught trying to see her own children. And just has another door closed on mm. her. So I think it's a bit less symbolic, uh, but it's quite a nice repeat. Um, mm-hmm. Roth is assassinated, and Michael has Fredo killed on the leg. <laughs> well, I, I, as I say, the the the, the, the reflecting real world events. So the Roth assassination is so good. You know, uh, they say it's like trying to kill the president, but Michael believes he can kill anyone. It's it's the it's a Kennedy reference there. Yeah. And then it's Lee Harvey Oswald being shot by Jack Ruby with a crowd of people and press around, and someone runs in and shoots and runs off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's I love the, I love the stuff that reflects what's happening in America in those last ten years. Um, I love the Fredo death because I wondered, and I was still wondering now, I don't quite know, does Fredo know his number's up when Anthony is taken off the boat? Because... He doesn't seem like it. No, because I think there's some stuff. It's Al, I think, the guy that kills him. And Al's got into his trust in the scene before, I think. And he, I think he just he thinks he's fishing with his mate. In the, um, in the novel, which was written after the film, uh, Puzzo makes it clear that Fredo did know. Right. And in this, when... Anthony's taken away by Connie. His dad wants him to go to Reno. <clears throat> and there is that moment where he just goes, ah, yeah, like that, which makes you think, <laughs> yeah. actually, he realises that if Anthony isn't coming out with him, he's going to die on this boat. Yeah, but then And then the whole Hail Mary thing and yeah. before when he's fishing. He's a bit on the nose to be praying. but mm. And it wasn't this the deal that they made? I seem to remember that, that uh, Puzo didn't want Fredo to be killed. Coppola wanted Fredo to be killed. They argued over it, and the, what the, the the decision they came to was: Puzo said, "You can kill Fredo, but only after the mother's died, because Michael wouldn't kill Fredo while his mother was still alive." And so that's how that's why it plays out in that mm. way. But this is not what Puzo wanted. It's for it's if you're right, then because it makes you think that Fredo is like still he's a de- like a decent person because if he does know what's going on, um, and then. Anthony is sent away. He doesn't scare. He doesn't want to scare Anthony by going. Ah, oh, no, no, no! Fuck it! I'm gonna kill me. He's just... gonna murder me on a lake, Anthony. <laughs> yeah. Come back he's here. He's just really calm. And he's like, if your dad says you gotta go, you gotta go. Yeah. Oh, that's bad. I think he knows. I really do. Yeah. So then the timelines are gonna merge. So prequel, sequel, merging. 
and it's Vito's birthday mm. and all these kids are waiting for him. Marlon Brando not there because it didn't turn up. Um, so this is the big fuss for me. Michael is there, but it's Al Pacino filming this scene after you've seen Godfather 1 mm. and you're trying to see, is he different? Because now you know what's going to happen. I I get it. I think his hair does most of the work, <laughs> to be honest. Do you not think? Like, it's, yeah, it's for, for a change. His eyes get a rest and his hair takes over. <laughs> yeah. But I do see now, watching it, when I first saw Michael in Godfather 1, and he seems quite... You know, he's quite open, but he, he doesn't seem entirely innocent when he's with Kay and he's at the wedding. But now it's something else because some, well, does, someone corrects him or someone says something and he... he Answers back, yeah, and the way that he answers back is very scary. So this, you think, is, oh, okay. this is exactly what I was going to say. Watching it this time, I was really struck by the question of what this scene is saying. Was Michael always destined, yeah, to be this ruthless, soulless killer? Uh, because we're seeing he's strong-willed from the start here and he's going against the family from the start. Mm -hmm. Whereas I thought the first film was showing us how a, a good man turns bad. Mm. But is this is this scene telling us, no, he was all, this was always his destiny? That's what I think. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. the way he answers back, he's, and he's still, he's still burdened with those eyes that <laughs> make him look like a murderer. It's a curse. Yeah, mm. it is a gorgeous curse. Mm. We should all be so lucky. But um, mm. yeah, I, I think he's saying... He, the, him going to war was a bit of a sojourn and now he's back in the family and he's going to do what he's For me, it changes the meaning of the first film a little bit, though, which is no bad thing. I mean, it's interesting, but I, I was, uh, yeah. Well, who was that guy Christmas shopping with Kay then in the first movie? He was such like a oh, happy, yeah. jolly jolly soul. Like, oh, yeah. Uh, that's the one bit that doesn't fit in with anything else for me then because, yeah. um, you know, we see him happy and joyful. Uh, and then um, back to Michael. Mm. He's staring out at that lake and he's all alone. And that's it. Yes. How is how is Al Pacino be able to act a man losing his soul in front of my eyes? Because <laughs> he does it. But it makes me because I was watching him with Mark and I was like, I fucking love Al Pacino, and you know how much I love him. And Mark was like, What are your favourite Al Pacino performances? And it's like I get a lot of flack for this, but The Devil's Advocate is right up there because wow. Wait, I, know, I know, I know, but I know. But it's a comedy. If I think taken as a comedy performance, it's good. It's just brilliant. So, and then I was like, but also <laughs> shut me down there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a listener, you couldn't see the look I just got given. It's just brilliant. <laughs> but then I said, I actually really, even though I didn't, I think the film is there's a lot, but like Carlito's way. I said because he looked because he is just Al Pacino. So Mark was killing me. About this, and it's like obviously some of the lines, you just, <laughs> but you. it's like look we were saying, huh? Jesus Christ, look at you! <laughs> there ain't no friends in the ship business, there ain't no but friends in this ship that's business. why it's such a shame in that film because you just said it. He's staring in front of a plate of glass, mm. and you're seeing a man who's descended into hell. But in Carlito's way, they just make him say everything, and it's such a shame. Well, I think, I think maybe three or four times across these two films, he does the thing where he goes from quiet to loud to quiet again oh yeah in my home and then he's back down again <laughs> and, and that then became his trademark as he went on yeah you know I think from Scarface onwards he was shouty hee-haw guy yeah whereas here it's used sparingly and it's really effective mm. yeah not that he's a bad actor you know, I'm not saying he's no, no, a shit it. actor no, 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 just, no, no, the devil's advocate mate <laughs> God is brilliant. an absentee <laughs> he, he just <laughs> God is an absentee landlord <laughs> I think he just changed in the way he acted. Writing, writing, such good writing. Work the scene, Earl. Oh, uh, that's it. Great Finish. stuff. So, uh, Al Pacino lost the Best Actor Oscar this year to 
Art Carney in the film Harold and Tonto. Yeah. Which I actually watched six months ago. And? It's a very lovely, very sweet film with a, a, a sweet performance by a sweet old man. It ain't this. <laughs> it's mad when you watch them back to back. Yeah, it made half of what its predecessor grossed. Right. And the reviews were not as good. You know, it's one of those films that the, the reputation's grown over the years. Mm. But um, we nearly got a part four. Right. I was watching some behind the scenes stuff for part three is this one documentary about everything and Mario Puzo was saying he'd written half of it it would be set in the 1920s about the rise of the Corleones you'd see Michael as a little boy mm. you'd see how Sonny became a murderer and see how Vito played by an older De Niro continues to rise to power in New York I would have watched it but maybe not after three I don't know I've got a funny thing about prequels when you go back in a timeline uh, it works in, in this because you flitting back and forth between now and then with Vito. Mm. I just think when you know how a character dies, it's yeah. sort of a futile thing watching their younger years. It's like Solo, a I Star Wars story. Like, it, it, you lose just... jeopardy when you when you know. And yeah. also it's a little bit of a shallow thrill because you're like, oh, look, that's why they're like that. And that's why they're like that. And it's yeah. quite surface level. But also it's sort of, it's always, it's always tainted with tragedy. You know, you can see them having a great time or having fun. But once you know how they meet their end, yeah. especially if it's a horrific way, it's, it's never as enjoyable. Uh, apart from this one where they did it really well. Yes, exactly. Yeah, okay. The exception. <laughs> it really You're is. talking about the frigging prequels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There we go. Shall we do the bits then? Mm. <laughs> Are you excited? Mm. Um, what's your best scene then? Fredo's death. Oh. It really upsets me mm. because I love Fredo. I think John Cazale is... Uh, was a fantastic actor, um, and uh, his arc through this, these two films, and I just, I'm with Puzo. I, mm. I think it's, um, it's a really questionable decision. Well, you, I, mean, you, I know, I know it. You it, can't it, be with Puzo, surely. I mean, he has to die. I know, I know it informs. You everything. don't want him to die. You're allowed to not want him to die, Alex. But to think it was the wrong decision. Well, I mean, I'm only quoting the author of the fucking Godfather. But yeah, <laughs> I, uh, I agree with Puzo. What about you? I, I mean, he I must have. I did can't he speak? It, it, he must have. What, what was his reasoning? He must have. Had, I, I don't know his reasoning. He cause... must have had a reason, though. Yeah, I'm sure he did. Yeah, yeah. I, I just don't know it. My reason is his reason. <laughs> uh, it is uh, uh, what you called the kiss of death. Yeah. Uh, that moment is electric. Uh, mine is. I just don't like my face being. If someone did that, I'd be like, "Get off!" Yeah, before but, they could go. I know tries, it was you. Fredo. He tries to get him off because he knows it's not normal. You don't kiss mm. people like that, and he he does. Fredo just put his hands on him, which is quite unusual mm. because he knows that something is wrong. But it, and he just keeps fucking staring at him like it's. Yes, it's a, it's all bad in terms of yeah. the emotion that you would know that something's up. <laughs> Uh, mine is the banana daiquiri scene. Yes, yeah, so I thought you were going to say the banana daiquiri. <laughs> Not the actual no, banana scene. No. He was already in there, for fuck's sake. Yeah, he was really and then he had, to, he had to pull back. Yeah. yeah. No, it's just fine. Apology accepted. It's make, fine. It, make it your MV, MVW, please. No, the scene. Sure, no, I know. <laughs> Fredo saying to Michael, with a variation on, I haven't written down the line, why did we not do this before? Um, and the uh, consequent staring. So, what's your most valuable whatever? The banana daiquiri. <laughs> it does look delicious. It really does. And I've never wanted one and don't like bananas until this scene. You don't eat an actual banana? I was going to say a real banana. You don't I eat real bananas? This. I didn't used to. I had one this morning. They have to be exactly the right level of ripeness, though. Mm, sure. If they're even slightly too soft, fuck that. And if they're, like, <laughs> so hard, it's like crunch, fuck that. It's like there's about a seven-second window yep. where you can eat a banana and it's delicious. The Goldilocks mm. banana. Yep, okay. Um... John Cazale, or Cazale, I don't know how you say it. Um, uh, 
Wow, it's just, it blows me away every time I watch this. He was a stage actor. He only made five films before lung cancer took him. And it was The Godfather, The Conversation, The Godfather 2, Dog Day Afternoon and The Deer Hunter. It's not bad, is it? <laughs> he was, you know, he was in a long-term relationship with Meryl Streep at the time. Like, he, there's a documentary about him that I watched years ago and everyone's in it. And all these great actors from this era and everyone says he was the best of us. He was the actor we would go and watch. He was the actor we learned from. And it's just devastating that we didn't get more performances from him. But this is the this is the top of the mountain for me. What about you? Yeah, I mean, John Cazale is, is fantastic. Lee Strasberg, which you mentioned as Hyman Roth. Uh, Gaston Moschine as Don Fanucci, like I said, yeah. I think is great. It's pretty much everyone this week. Honestly, whereas I really had Brando a... nailed on for the first movie, I right. was like, yes, uh, this one, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling a bit. And I think, I, I think for me, it's Robert Duvall. Uh, I just think he's just, I think you said it yourself, he's a really warm presence even though he's doing horrible things yeah he's um wow you've loved Deval across these two movies mm, I have yeah. I have and I've met him and he's awful to yes. talk to yes. I mean he's just a cantankerous old man uh you know and doesn't take any shit and speaks his mind which is fine I guess. except when you're on the premiere for Jack Reacher and you're like Robert Deval he's like well fuck <laughs> you're like okay cool yeah. did you enjoy making this movie it was a movie I'm an actor I'm like excellent I think actors get to an age where they should stop putting in those situations definitely I was sent to interview the guys from 2001 and they are knocking oh, wow. on a bit okay. and they are very very particularly one of them is a very very grumpy old man <laughs> so far <I'm> cross. <laughs> yeah. I've got to talk to you for 10 minutes and I didn't know you see normally you get you're fed in information in advance or you've interviewed them before and you're like oh, okay so it's Deval I'm going to be really like you know like ready so, yeah just very like on the like you, you know I didn't so I was like hey welcome to the premiere he was like no way <laughs> yeah uh, well, you picked him before, but I'm picking him now. So Gordon Willis, the Prince of Darkness, fantastic. Mm. Because that I I know I know it's in both films, but in this film, the chiaroscuro is it's just more pronounced for me. It, everything looks like a Caravaggio. Everything, mm. even scenes that are not important. Everything, um, and I, I I just run out of words. That it's transportative. It's immersive. It makes you feel like you're going to swoon when you think about it. You are in there because because also the obviously it's Francis Ford Coppola really, but the sweep and the scale of the story isn't actually what carried me along with it. It's such a long film. I, I am invested in the characters, but what got me was the look and the feel of the story mm. more than the story I'm being told. Um, although that's, that's, you know, that's a great story also, but it was just, I felt like I was in it and I fucking love stuff like that. Um, I so. saw a funny interview with him though, where he was saying he thinks that in this film, he might've gone too far with the yeah. darkness. <laughs> and he talks about the scene when Michael visits his mother for the last time. Yeah. And he says, you can like, barely see I probably should have lined it up a little. <laughs> He's kind of laughing about it. And they, it's like they were showing it. And I was like, yeah. Should have meant to be like Mom McCauley on his home, but it yeah. looks like a crypt. Yeah. Like, I can't see anything. Yeah. And then there's the fire and it's like, yeah, but it's perfect. I just think it's magic. Like, um, it feels like a film as actual magic because of uh, his work. Um, okay, so uh, what would you change, Alex? Uh, I've done it already. I sort of went early. Don't kill Fredo! <laughs> wow. Why? It's big. I just... And you can't say whatever Mario Puzo thought. <laughs> Listen, Mario Puzo said don't kill Fredo. Hey, him and Coppola agreed that Fredo dies. In the end, but only through a series of bartering exchanges. Do you think this film is as beloved if Fredo survives it? Isn't it what it's about? Mm. Uh, yes, I'm a conundrum in that respect. No, you sure. are a complicated sure. guy. 
Is it? Do you just want it to make yourself feel better? I don't like unhappy endings no, for likable okay. characters, no, and I, I have a lot it. of sympathy for Fredo, and I feel for him, and it's upsetting that he dies. And I'm sorry I'm arguing about what your change is, but I think it's really interesting. Mm. I, I, I just wanted to know more. What about you? Ridiculous. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to get to that thing I was going to yeah. say. Frankie Five Angels. Yep. So. Bollocks, what a terrible change, Vicky. <laughs> uh, Clemenza was in this film until a week before they started shooting. The actor who plays Clemenza, Richard Castellano, fell out with Coppola over... Coppola <laughs> says it's because he wanted to write his own lines. Which is an insane request. He uh, wanted to bring his well, own writer in to pump up his part. Yeah, no, but that's just Coppola's version. Castellano says that's not true. He was asking me to do crazy things with my weight. And this is the other thing he says. He says, I saw Clemenza as a teacher. He teaches how to make spaghetti, how to use the gun. Coppola can't tell me that Clemenza, after years of loyalty to the old man, would go in and testify against organised crime. Not unless you prove to me that he's become a fearful man, that he's become a betrayer. So he says that's the reason he didn't do the movie. Mm -hmm. And so at the very last minute, they had to write the Frankie Five Angels role and cast it they did a bloody good job yeah. but I think over the course of two movies it's more powerful if Clemenza is that character For sure. and Castellano is being like you here he's fallen in love with the character but it's not about what you feel about the character these guys we you see if you read the history of the mob ultimately they all turn around and betray each other yeah um, and, and Coppola would have found the reason so um, yes I think Clemenza makes this a better film Okay. Vicky. My change is also in your the similar vein to yours, Alex, in that it's not for the good of the film, it's just because it stressed me out too much. Don't kill Fredo. No. <laughs> Great. It, too. Uh, Lovely. Brilliant. <laughs> Fuck shit. It just stresses me out that um it, it that Kay loses the kids. It just stresses me out too much. I just can't I cannot bear it. I really? Yeah, I can't cope with it. When she's when the I, women we haven't got like, kids, Alex, and mm. it didn't. I was like, whatever. When the I women like, are like, you are blessed. <laughs> think of all that. I mean, time. I did think. Yeah, you, you, you could maybe you don't need to be there all the time, but like, <laughs> do I, just the door closing on her and the the fact that the women have gone against the Don and their brother and and is Mama still alive? That anyway to let Kay in means that the women know it's a big deal and so she's allowed to see her kids and then Anthony won't kiss her and all of that. So this is not for the film, this is just for me. She's having the big fight with um, her husband in the hotel and then she suddenly realises what's about to happen and he's going to take the kids and so she capitulates and she says sorry and I don't know how she gets out of the abortion thing but we'll deal with that later. And so she lives as a prisoner and it's not good. She's a prisoner but she's got her kids and that's that's her life and that is terrible but it's better than what she ends up with which is she's free but she's n never going to see her kids again. It's bad. So just a change, uh, just for me. So yeah. Like, why? <laughs> why doesn't Anthony kiss her? Is it because he's been told by Michael not to, or because he's chosen not to? Because he prefers his dad to her, and he has his mind poisoned by mm. Michael's words. I think I don't think kids of that age are like I prefer my whatever. They just do. <laughs> <laughs> We've had chats, Vicky. <clears throat> wow, <With> the boys. <laughs> I never thought I'd describe you as naive. <laughs> No, I just mean at his age. That's all I don't well, mean. Yeah, I know. Really? You yeah, yeah, of course. What? Mm. What? Is he like seven or eight? People have favourites. Children have favourites. <laughs> they always ask us. Are you in denial? They always ask me which of which is my favourite of mm. all of them. So it's already going through their heads. They that favourites are a yeah, thing. Favourites are a thing. Yeah. And um, who do you say? I don't say. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> privately, I do have one of his. Um, yeah. So you know, Kay's arc is her life is ruined. That's fine. But let's ruin her life in a different way just for my own levels of stress and tension. Okay. 
Sorry. Chris is shaking his head. I know, because it's not a real thing. <laughs> it's, they're both to make you feel more comfortable. <laughs> yeah. But they both probably, well, they definitely make the film worse. It's just also, it's, yeah, it's good. It's a good moment because Michael, it's family. I'd, I'd I'd knock a star family. off this movie for my own happiness. Yeah. Because <laughs> he knows that he's damaging his kids. He knows that his, his, his kids have got a loving mother who's mm. present and she wants to be in their life and he slams the fucking door in her face and he knows it's going to mess him up and he doesn't care. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Michael, Michael, Michael's got a great fisherman in Fredo Fredo always catches fish <laughs> do do tweet us if you think uh, Fredo should stay alive and the kids should stay in the picture <laughs> do tweet us there we great are. stuff right then that is The Godfather Part 2 finished as I said at the start of Monday's episode we're going to be voting now for which is the greatest Godfather movie The Godfather or The Godfather Part 2 it's time for the verdict you want answers I think I'm entitled you want answers I want the truth Right, my choices this week. So, who shall we have going first? I think Victoria can go first. I don't know where anyone's voting this week. Okay. Okay. This is exciting. Um, I'll just keep it quick. Um, it's The Godfather 2. I'm not, there's no tension. Okay. The Godfather was, 2. <laughs> that was quick. Yeah, that was and, and very matter of fact. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm going to do it quickly. <laughs> the Godfather 2. <laughs> it's too long, obviously. Yeah. And it almost makes no sense because of Danny Aiello, and that is irritating. Mm. But I just think that obviously Godfather One is no slouch, but in terms of the feeling of being transported, the Godfather Two Part Two is just something else. It's it exists as something else to me. I've only seen it once. I really I'm looking forward to seeing it again when I can just sit back and let it wash over me. It's just it's a work of art that has a story in it. And the Godfather One again is like it's I mean it's very hard to pick, but the Godfather Two for the the way it looks, the way it feels, the way it made me feel. Just the time spent in the theatre and on Ellis Island and all of that, is, it's amazing. And it's one of those things that we do on the podcast where we knew we were going to do it. And I was like, oh, I've been avoiding that film for my whole life. And I was cross. And it's like, fucking how many Red hours of film? Well, weren't you? <laughs> cross and hot. Red. <laughs> you got that bit of flush on your neck. <laughs> Why? Because no. you annoyed me. <laughs> and then I was cross with you internal dialogue having arguments with both of you why have I got to watch seven hours of films this week and then I was watching I was like god damn it <laughs> you she, were right. has, she has arguments for this film we're not there <laughs> oh, no all the time I bet all the time I, I could tell at the start of the first episode this week when you were like oh did you um, did you pick them so you didn't have to do any fucking research yeah. this is your choice so we had to do all the work yeah. genuine anger there yeah. at what you've had to go through we've had a note we've talked about who's it. next right. Alex who's next right uh, I'm going to go next uh, it's, uh, it's a tough one it really, really is a tough one. Um, I love the scale of the sequel. I love the fact we go to Cuba. I love the Senate hearing. I love that he literally kills everyone at the end. <laughs> I love the first one, though, because of the claustrophobic streets of New York. And largely, I love the first one because it doesn't jump back and forth in time. And I feel it's more of an intimate experience um, and not as brain scrambling, which I kind of feel reduces my love of the second one. But really, there is one reason and one reason alone why I'm picking this movie. And my vote uh, goes to The Godfather because of Marlon frickin' Brando. He is irreplaceable. So, one each. Mm, I didn't want to have to be doing this this week because I really flipped Is that why you threw your... your uh, yeah, yeah, your... I was annoyed. Okay. What have you done if you've thrown something? I, th I threw my little rag. I could see it when I was like... Because I didn't oh, want to have to have the deciding vote I, because I flip-flopped a lot this week. Can you control week. yourself, please? Yeah, <laughs> Jesus. I flip-flopped a lot like this week. This is like when Vicky threw stuff at me because I won the quiz again. I've not known, I've not known I what to pick. I pretended to. I've sorry. changed my mind a lot. Sorry, sorry. Why are you angry? 
because I don't want to have the deciding vote because I'm finding it so difficult to pick a favourite. So you just wanted to jump in there and pick The Godfather, so I had to have the deciding vote. Let's move on. OK. Um, so, as I said, I think The Godfather is the one I, I would throw on again next week. It's the one I watch the most. I find it very... It's really watchable quality. I think two might be the better film. I think. I love that structure that it enables the films to talk to each other. But we are watching them in conjunction. And when watched back to back, I think some of two is redundant as they're telling the same story. <laughs> Michael loses his humanity in one and again in two. He loses his soul in one and again at the end of two. Michael shuts the door on Kay in one and then again in two. Several times. Michael has his, <laughs> Michael has his brother-in-law killed in one and his brother killed in two. It's more, upsetting be- it's more upsetting because we like Fredo, yeah. but the principle remains roughly the same. So for that reason, I'm going for the film that so perfectly told the story first time around, and that's The Godfather. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Stop throwing your weird rag around the room. I'm just going to put it there. Why do you have a rag anyway? Clean my glasses. Oh, okay. (laughs) And to to wave. Why would you need to wave if it? I'm trying to hail a train? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. You don't know <laughs> have you ever hailed a train? If I'm waving at someone going in a train. I don't know. Let's. We're done. I, we are. Do your big thing. Okay, we are done. <laughs> train, train. I'd like to board you, please. <laughs> the Godfather is our winner this week, not The Godfather Part 2, often hailed as a sequel better than the original. We have spoken, and The Godfather is victorious. (laughs) It might be better. It might be better. (laughs) I don't know. Who knows? (laughs) (laughs) You're going to need this. You're going to get on your train. Uh, Right, that is us done this week. So... Congratulations to The Godfather. Fantastic. I mean, it would, would have been happy either way, uh, apart from Victoria, who's gone very quiet and is looking sullen. <laughs> I don't need to win like that. Yeah, we're not like yeah. you. Yeah. You don't, need, don't to win like that. You don't need to win at the quiz. What do you need? No, I need to win at the quiz. <laughs> right, you just That's where I need oh, okay. to win. Right then. Uh, let's look ahead to next week. Okay. Uh, Vicky. Yeah. Mm. Have you heard of the film Killing Me Softly? <laughs> I can't uh, do Juice Bigelow. I'm in it. It's going to be awkward. My clue. Oh my God, is that going to be the link one week films that you two have been in? Mm. Brilliant. Yeah. I look forward to it. Well, we could do you with Lost. Oh, yeah. Not the TV series. Uh, Vicky, um, you are doing the 1986 movie Top Gun. Yeah. And Alex. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Already there. Yeah. I have a need. <laughs> I have a need. <laughs> You are doing what I think is a 1990 film, and that is called Days of Thunder. I have a need. Yeah. A need to drive fast. Uh, <laughs> both of these films are available to rent on Amazon in the UK, and they're both currently screening on Sky. Wonderful. That is your homework for the weekend. Top Gun versus mm. Days of Thunder. Man, that's going to be interesting. I haven't seen Days of Thunder in years. Me neither. I hope it stands up, because Top Gun, I think, is a lot of people's favourite films. What is it? Them? I think a lot no. of people love. Do they not they love it? But right, it's, it's not, not right yet. No, sorry, yeah, I, I overrate the pudding. I was sort of building up to the end, but lost all forward momentum now. <laughs> <laughs> Gonna have to start over. Should we start the podcast again? <laughs> yeah. yeah, less on the banana daiquiris, more on Fredo. Good yeah. or bad death. More on blood ties. Uh, if you haven't already, please subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at ClashPod. Like I said, back on Monday, talking Top Gun. Have a wonderful weekend. Bye-bye. This was a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Hold up. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.